Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben here. Welcome to episode 460 of the podcast. It's October 12th, 2022. My guest today is Philip Holt. He is the author of three books. You'll learn more about them and him in a minute and through the episode. Those books are titled Leading with Lean, The Simplicity of Lean, and Leading Lean by Living Lean. So if you want to learn more about Philip and his books, you can go to leanblog.org slash 460. As always, thanks for listening. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, My guest today is Philip Holt. He is currently a Senior Vice President of Operational Excellence at GKN Aerospace, which is the world's leading multi-technology tier one aerospace supplier. And Philip has more than 30 years of business experience in different leadership roles spanning the customer value chain. He's been in other industry-leading companies, including Philips, Gillette, and Travelport. Philip studied at Manchester Metropolitan University, uh, Warwick Business School, and the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. So he's a regular speaker at Lean, Six Sigma, and Operational Excellence Conferences. So before I tell you a little bit more and before I tell you about his books, it'll form kind of the basis for our conversation today. First off, uh, Philip, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Mark, and thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm I'm glad we can talk, and and I've already alluded to the UK, and people can can tell where. But I'll, I'll ask where where are you located these days? So I'm located in a, a small market town called Bury St Edmunds. It's just to the east of Cambridge, which uh, listeners are probably more familiar with. Um, but my my accent betrays the fact that I'm actually from the north of England originally. So I'm from the Manchester area, um, but it's an accent that's followed me around um, wherever I've lived. Well, it's uh, when I when I've um, worked in the in the UK, I always thought, uh, boy, things sound uh, smarter in a British accent. And they 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 may have been just teasing me when they claimed maybe the opposite was also true. There's something about <laughs> not being a prophet in your own land, perhaps, but that's that's a different story. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, but uh, so Philip uh, Philip Holt again, his website is lean-master.com. I'll make sure there's a link to that in the show notes. And I'll put a link to uh, his three lean leadership books. So uh, the first book was titled Leading with Lean, an an experience-based guide to leading a lean transformation. Sorry for the defect there, Philip. Uh, The second book was The Simplicity of Lean, Defeating Complexity, Delivering Excellence. And the third book is Leading Lean by Living Lean, Changing how you lean, not who you are. Did, did I have a typo there? Is that a different defect? Is it cha- changing how? No, change. I said it wrong again. My goodness. Changing how you lean. This is okay. It's actually changing how you lead, not who you are. That's the typo. My goodness. Yes. I am <laughs> full of defects and mistakes, and I did not do it right the first time, but in the spirit of, um, Leading a lean life, which we're going to come back and talk to. Um, I'm, I'm going to not edit out those mistakes. That we're we're all human, and that's a part of being a lean leader. I guess is recognizing that. Absolutely. So uh, we'll we'll get to take a deeper dive into all of that. I will quit stumbling through my attempts to read things here. Um, but you know, Philip, before we talk about the books and 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 you know the the things you've learned 
along the way? How how did your lean journey, if you will, you know, start off? I, I, I like asking guests. I think it's always interesting to hear the origin story for you, kind of the how, the where, the when did you get exposed to any of this? Yeah, so it's it's kind of in two parts. Um, the the first part I always describe as the part where I thought I knew what lean was, and the second part was when I realized I didn't and started to learn it again. Um, so the, the first part was when I think like a lot of people, I was I was running operations um, in a company, one of my first companies I worked for. Um, I started to to pick up books. I read The Machine That Changed the World, um, looking at uh, total quality management, you know, all the good stuff of the late 80s and 90s, um, and, and started to use the toolkit. Um, I, I got during the 90s a Six Sigma Green Belt as well um, and, and felt that I had a really good grasp of the Lean and the Six Sigma toolkit and ran some, some projects where we had you know, significant results and people were happy, senior leadership was happy. But one thing that started to dawn on me um, on reflection was that there was a lot of deterioration after the fact. Um, and, and also, it was very difficult to see the overall improvement in the overall value chain. And, and I didn't really realize why that was until in 2008, um, I joined what we called the Simply Philips Lean Operating Model in, in Philips. It was a, essentially a reboot of the, the Lean program using um, a, a five-phase Lean Operating Deployment Model. And... We, I was fortunate enough, we went over to Japan for two weeks to do what we call the Kaikaku experience, a best practice experience. And it was whilst I was out there, it really started to dawn on me that I'd completely missed what lean was all about, what lean leadership was all about. Um, and it became clear to me that, you know, the tools are exactly as we call them, the tools. And it's not about the tools. The tools are relatively straightforward. You get some more complex Tools, you know, if you think of theory of constraints and some of the uh, the higher end Six Sigma problem solving, of course, you need real true experts to to solve that. But most of the tools are pretty straightforward. What really matters is the leadership part of it. How you really understand what makes an organisation tick and how you get everyone in the organisation rallying around that. So, since about two thousand and eight, I've been relearning what lean. Went and I, I would guess I was on what what's sometimes called Mount Stupid um, on the Dunning Kruger um, yeah. e- experience and confidence level or expertise and confidence level, and I I think I quickly crashed down Mount Stupid in two thousand and eight and realised that I didn't know a lot of what I didn't know um, and and started to learn ever since, and that's that's been my second part of my my journey. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm picturing that diagram and maybe a lot of our listeners can as well about Dunning-Kruger syndrome. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, 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 um, that label of Mount Stupid, I mean, there's clearly a difference between stupid and ignorant. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost more Mount Ignorance. We don't know what we don't know. And that I, I appreciate you sharing that, Philip, because I think that's a part, if we're being honest about it, all of our lean journeys to some extent of relearning or learning better or having better coaches, better influences. So, you know, I appreciate you, you know, uh, being willing to talk through that. Um, You know, Kaikaku is an interesting word. Um, I don't know how it was taught to you, but more like radical improvement as opposed to Kaizen or more incremental improvement, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I talk about this in, in all three of my books, actually, uh, Mark, because there's, I mean, there's all often a common misconception that continuous improvement is just about Kaizen. I, I think often people actually use them as synonyms, continuous improvement and Kaizen is, is the same thing. And, and that breakthrough improvement is something separate. Um, and and I, I, I really try and disabuse people of that and, and say, look, continuous improvement is exactly what it says on the tin. It's continuous improvement. And whether that improvement is incremental or radical breakthrough improvement, you actually need both. And that's why a really successful organization has both that Horsham Canary policy deployment approach to making breakthroughs and also tries to build that army of problem solvers who are every day doing those incremental changes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, there, there are a lot of organizations while, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about mistakes, maybe, um, you know, organizations that only, that make the mistake of only wanting large project projects that only have large ROI and like, okay, there's, there's a time and a place for that, but they miss out on, you know, I, I like the Toyota diagram, um, the Toyota way of field book is where I first saw it of like, you know, three lay, levels of Kaizen, large rocks, smaller rocks and tiny pebbles. Um, you know, a lot of people make the mistake of not doing any of the daily continuous improvement kind of Kaizen or people only do the middle level, you know, which is maybe the Kaizen events. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, what are the reflections you have from seeing different places or different leaders? only using parts of the improvement approach. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that's that's pretty um pretty common and pretty standard across most companies. It's kind of a I think I think lean leadership or lean is often seen as kind of a pick and mix. Um and, and it, it doesn't work like that. Um it, it's really a holistic model uh, of leadership that that needs to be a choice. Um, and, and you need to be all in. I, you know, I, I often use sporting, um, you know, analogies or metaphors. And, you know, I say it's it's like choosing a fitness regime, but deciding, well, OK, I'm going to I'm going to go out running, but I'm still going to drink beer every night and, and eat pizza. You know, it's you've got you've got to decide, are you in or are you out? You can't be kind of half into this. And, you know, so. So what, what we've tried to do, and I, I did this in my previous companies as well, is we, we create what we call the opportunity corridor, um, impact and, and difficulty. And, and, you know, the low, low impact but low difficulty are the Kaizen, and you want many of those. You want to create this, as I call it, an army of problem solvers who are every day able to solve the problems that they encounter daily. Then you've got this kind of middle group and there's a kind of the Kaizen events, the ones where you get teams together and they try and solve some of the bigger rocks, the larger rocks. And then you've got the the few but really significant breakthrough projects. And those can be, you know, technology breakthroughs, investments, design, or they could be a Six Sigma Demaic or design for Six Sigma type of activity. And you've got to do it all. It's got to all happen to really be a successful company. Yeah, there's there's all those layers, but then those larger breakthrough uh, improvements that that require time and investment. That it seems like that's where you need to prioritize. I I, I try to encourage people when it comes to the small kaizen improvements that really don't require any spending or or much time. That that it might be waste to prioritize the little ones, but the big ones like we don't have unlimited 
time or attention or, or, or money, right? So I, I'm wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on this idea of how to prioritize those based on um, you know, organizational need. Yes, I'm, I'm a great exponent of, um, of Horsham Canary. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it was developed by a, 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 you know, companies many years ago. Um, Toyota, again, are famous for that. Danaher actually is probably one of the most successful at using this in the, let's say, in the West. Um, they've, they've been, you know, almost ruthless in the use of Horsham to prioritise and really grow their, their businesses. Um, and, and to me, it's, it's a great tool. Again, it's a tool. The leadership needs to come around that to actually make it successful. Um, too many times I walk into businesses, locations, manufacturing sites where they, they talk about having a Horsham. Um, you look at it and they've got 20 things on there where you've not got a Horsham, you've got a shopping list of yeah. or a wish list. Yeah. So it's really about that ruthless prioritization and decision and, uh, and choices. And I often say to people, you know, they say, well, if we only do three things, you know, what if we do them all and we've got time to do other stuff? And I say, fantastic. That's a, how many companies end the year saying we could have done more? Yeah. The vast majority of organizations end a year having failed to do most of what they really wanted to do if they're honest with themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Being honest about your organizational capacity, I think is really important. And I've seen, you know, I've seen organizations in healthcare apply this really well of instead, you know, looking at these big initiatives that all have their argument for why they should be done. It's not just yes, no. There's this third bucket of well, there's yes, there's no in between. There's yes, but not now, right? That it's better to get a couple things done and then move on instead of like this organizational, you know, swirl or, um, you know, where, where people point fingers and say, well, I didn't get that project done because I was pulled into this one and somehow vice versa. Or yeah. if you have too many projects all requiring, um, you know, IT, well, now you, you've, you've outreached the capacity of that part of the organization. These these are the things that we have to talk through, right? Yeah, absolutely. But again, it comes back to it's 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 all about like everything in, in lean leadership. It's about the leadership and it's about people, and it's taking the politics out of this. You know, get, getting everybody together and really doing that work. I mean, in, in Gikonura space, we started our horsing, you know, a month or so ago. Um, we're, we're working busily on it now. And the idea is that every single site across our estate of 38 sites by the end of this year have got fully aligned horsing goals that are handshook with the business line president and COO and they know exactly what they need to deliver. Um, we've really those, those top three, hopefully top three, but certainly no more than five priorities to deliver next year. Um, but ones that are sizable and will make a real step change. But at the same time, back to our earlier discussion, you know, the, everybody is doing the Kaizen every day, that culture of everyday improvements as well. So you get that combined power. Yeah. So you talk about not having too many different goals and, you know, there, there's the extension into not having too many um, high priority initiatives. How, how do you talk through or teach through uh, people the concept of true north that stays more consistently. The goals this year might be different than the goals next year, but true north tends to be just that, more, more consistent. How, how would you work through with an organization if, if they don't have a good articulation of true north? 
so they, so they need to they need to determine one um you know it's uh, we often you often get these arguments about does lean work bottom up or top down i'm a great believer it only really works if it's done from the top um so you you've got to have a, a ceo you've got to have a leadership team for the organization that has articulated properly what the breakthroughs are that they expect from the organization over the coming years um, and then you can determine that as a strategy deployment through Horshin. Mm-hmm. So again, re- the key thing is Horshin isn't about the strategy. Horshin is about how you deploy the strategy and make it um, executable and, and realize it. So you've got to start with that. So again, a lot of work, and we we were fortunate to have a new CEO come in last year who's been very crystal clear on what his expectations are. Uh, and that pervades throughout the organization. Everybody knows what True North is. Um, so it's then about how are you going to achieve those those results? Yeah. And if an organization is struggling, it seems like there's one of two things that could be true. It could be the wrong strategy or the wrong strategic choices well executed or the right strategy and priorities poorly executed. Um, yeah. how, how, how would you kind of best diagnose a situation if it was one of the two or, or somehow both? Yeah, so I think the easiest one to to diagnose is the one where um, it's a a strategy, maybe we don't call it a bad strategy, but it's not the optimal strategy. It's being executed well, but it isn't getting the results that the business require. That that you can problem solve pretty easily because you can say, hey, look, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's this two by two about results versus process. And in Horsham, we need both to be true. We need that top right-hand box. So if you're getting basically a good process, the people doing the horsing are coming out with the right kind of output, but we're not getting the right results for the business, then something's wrong with what we're trying to achieve. That's probably easily diagnosable. Um, in terms of, you know, it's the right strategy, but not executed, I guess that becomes patently obvious. There's not even problem solving required. You can just see that it's not working. Um and, and again, if you're following your horsing process, it should quickly and clearly become obvious if people aren't delivering because there's this monthly review cycle that should mm-hmm. pick that up mm-hmm. early. Yeah. But again, it's, you know, I, I keep coming back, I sound like a little bit of a broken record, but it, it all comes back to leadership. Mm-hmm. If we don't have the right leadership throughout every level of the organisation, it, it just won't work. So we're going to come back and we're certainly going to talk more about leadership. Um, so, you know, of, of your three books, Philip, I actually want to talk about the second one first, if that's right with you. So the second, um, the second book is The Simplicity of Lean. Um, what, what are some of the ways? So, you know, it seems like that, that book is a countermeasure to something. And, and one of those problems might be different ways people maybe overcomplicate lean or overcomplicate some of those um, concepts. What, what, what are some of the most common um, overcomplications that, that you've seen or experienced? Yeah, so I, th- I think the, the biggest overcomplication, and again, I'll, I'll hold my hands up red-handed here, I've done this myself, um, is to say, look, I've got a hammer, so every problem is a nail. So you, you walk around, you know, I've, I've mentioned Horsham Canary and I'm, I'm absolutely passionate about it, but I couldn't, I shouldn't just walk into an organization and say, hey, Horsham Canary is great, so you need to now do Horsham Canary. Um, you know, 
the biggest one of the biggest mistakes, one of the biggest overcomplications is to go in and do lean because we should do lean. Now, what we need to do is we need to make the business better, the organization better. We need to make it better for its people, the people who work there, for its customers and for its shareholders. So we've got to make the, the organization better. The question is, what are the biggest problems the organization faces? So once you start to have those conversations, you shouldn't even be talking about Lean or Six Sigma or any kind of tool at this point. The discussion should really be about what do we want to solve as a business? Once you've kind of got that and you've socialized that, and certainly at the leadership level, it's agreed, then you can start to talk about how are we going to, to do this. And that's when you can start to bring Lean into the fore. So that, that's kind of the red thread through the simplicity of lean is, is really about not putting the cart before the horse, you know, really understanding what is it the business needs first and then applying the right tools appropriately to, to solve that. And it really is, you know, like I say, red-handed here. I've done this myself where I've gone in and said, hey, we've got to go do lean and we've got this great plan and we've got this great program. And everyone says, oh, yeah, we've heard we've got to do lean. But after a few months, people turn around and say, well, why are we doing this? And you even see, you know, separate meetings for people to solve their real business problems while there's these meetings to go do this lean stuff. Oh, gosh. So, you know, that's 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 the kind of terrible. And I guess you've seen this many times in healthcare as well. <laughs> I've, I've seen it in different settings, um, even, you know, back to manufacturing days. But, you know, I, I, I love the way you emphasize that. And I try to pass along lessons that I've learned in different ways, right? Because, you know, people will often reach out to me and they'll ask about tools. They're at that stage in their development or their journey. Uh, you might get asked this too, Philip, of like, you know, what, what should we do first? What tool should we implement first? And I try to steer it back to, you know, kind of drawing upon, uh, I always point to Taiichi Ono in his book on TPS. There's a, a chapter where the header says, start from need, right? And then you know, later on, there, he makes a point about, your most pressing needs, which is, you know, exactly, I mean, that sounds like what I hear you saying. And then, um, you know, even back to John Shook, when he was with the Lean Enterprise Institute, what problem are we trying to solve? You know, it was a question he would always bring up. So, you know, it seems like it, it, if it, there, there's an opportunity or a need to use this high level lean problem solving thought process of not jumping to solutions, making sure we understand and frame the problem well. I mean, I think that's that's always a good reminder at, at the organizational level or at a, a much more detailed, um, you know, shop floor problem kind of situation. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt, Mark. Yeah. So focusing on, on uh, why we're doing things and, you know, uh, not overcomplicating. So one, one other thing I was going to ask you about, because I've, I've seen this in, in different settings, um, different ways organizations might overcomplicate problem solving for a certain situation. When I think of the last manufacturing company that I worked for, um, you know, I was going through a lean training and certification track and had a project where I was supposed to solve a business problem with lean methods. Well, you know, there's somebody next cubicle over who was going through a Six Sigma black belt track. And, you know, and part of her certification was, was quite literally based on you need to use all of these tools. And it was really slowing her down when it was not an inconsequential business problem that she was solving. So I'm, I'm not criticizing Six Sigma, but I think it comes back to the question of like being situational. What, what have you learned about 
the, 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 the right level of complexity of problem solving for the right type of problem? What, what have you seen? Yeah, I think, I think the, the key thing here, Mark, and I, I recognize exactly what you're talking about here, and the, the key thing for me is start at the bottom level of problem solving and escalate until you've solved it. So the, the first thing is kind of JDI, just do it. So the first thing is, are we actually running to standard? So if we're not running to standard, just return to standard. So that's the first check, because I've seen far too many times problems being solved. What we're actually doing is reinventing the wheel because we're not running to standard. So let's make sure, first of all, we're running to standard. And that's the first thing that we should teach in any good problem solving. Um, the next thing is 3C. So we teach very simple 3C, concern, cause, countermeasure. And it's very deliberately cause, not root cause, because you want a lot of this going on every single day. So the first time something happens, if we get a concern up, people believe they know what the cause is and they can put a countermeasure in place to quickly try and solve it, then that's good enough. Um, now, if it recurs, you might need to get into more complex problem solving. But the first thing is we want the first level so that Tier one of level, the operation team leader to be trying to solve these things quickly. And if you've not solved the problem at that level, then you can go up to some practical problem solving, some A3 type of problem solving or 8D, depending on the industry and the, the approach you take. But essentially, you know, a structured A3 of problem solving. If you've ultimately can't solve it at that level, and generally that's when you can't really get to the root cause easily. Um, and you don't understand why you're getting variation or performance issues, then you might escalate it to a Six Sigma type of problem solving. Um, but again, it's go through those escalation levels. Don't just jump to one solution. And to your point about your colleague in, in back in the manufacturing company with a black belt, you know, I've seen that many times when, again, it's about doing the project rather than solving the business yeah. problem. Yeah. And so what we've done with our Six Sigma training, both at the green belt and black belt level, we've really slimmed down the curriculum, the mm -hmm. standard curriculum. And then the idea is that if somebody's solving a problem, if they need tools we've not yet taught them, then they pull those tools in and we teach them yeah. as they need them. And we've also got a good library and people can kind of pull in those solutions themselves and that learning for themselves. So again, we very much fo focus, I would almost say fixate mm -hmm. on it's got to be a real business problem that the site director and their team cares about. If they really care about it, it's worth doing. If they don't care about it, we, we shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love the way um, you say all that. I mean, it's, uh, it, it sounds like it's a shift from like, you know, that company I used to work for, you know, uh, it was easier for them to structure it as, as a big batch a big batch of training. We're going to do this batch certification and certify you in all of this, which then slowed down the project where, you know, I mean, there, there were different objectives. There's learning certification, if you decide that's uh, important. And then the business results, what I hear you describing is, it seems like a parallel of a shift between batch to just in time, just in time learning. D does that mean, you know, does that mean the, the, the certification Time to certification is, is slower then as the learning and the application is happening more organically to the needs of the business? 
No, we, we our certifications are based on, is this person a good problem solver at the appropriate level? Are they solving business problems? So I, I put I, I put up our Six Sigma green belts and black belts against any Six Sigma green belt or black belt in terms of solving business problems. If we want to go and have a university academic competition, then, you know, they may lose. Um <laughs> But, yeah. but we're in the business of solving business problems, not not becoming academics at, at this. So I think that the curriculum we've got, it's not a, you know, it's not a, a simplified curriculum. What we've done is we've essentially analysed the tool set and said, which are the most common tools? So let's teach them really well in those fewer, more common tools. And the more esoteric tools can be pulled in when they're, when they're required, rather than you know, it's the Pareto principle. We're teaching them the 20% of tools that solve 80% of problems. We're not teaching them any less vigorously. We're just teaching them fewer but quicker. And then the certification, we do do certification. Um, we actually have a recertification policy as well. So you need to become certified by solving business problems of a significant size. Mm-hmm. And then Two years later, you need to show us that you've continued to solve business problems of a significant size. And if you've not, then you don't keep the certification because what's the uh, point if you're not using it? Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, that that was that was I don't think there was a feedback loop at that at that previous company. I think it's like once certified, always certified. But that that was a different challenge there, where particularly at the green belt level. Um, everybody there was doing a project, and I've talked about this before in other episodes. But the, the organizational dynamic was: if you, if you had 500 green belt certificates on the wall, I think the number of green belt projects was probably something like 504. Because the culture in the environment, and this comes back to leadership in a lean six sigma environment, you you can train and certify people and get your project knocked out. But is that it, it seemed like you know you're 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 losing so much potential if people aren't given the time and space and encouragement and coaching to go use that over time, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we we don't want, you know, our our central team are pretty small. You know, what, what we're actually asking is that people who become certified as a black belt in our site, they are then the trainers of the green belts. And then we want the green belts to be the trainers of people doing practical problem solving. And, and it should become a lifestyle, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Six Sigma becomes your lifestyle. And we'll, we'll come back to living lean um, here before the end of the episode. But you know, the other thing you mentioned there, Philip, I, I, I totally agree with is starting simple. Um, I'll, I'll give a shout out. Cleveland Clinic, I think, is a great example in healthcare where they have a lot of um, you know smaller Kaizen's, just do it's, or you could say just PDSA it's. Um, and then they have A3s and, and they'll escalate a, a situation to an A3 when they realize, oh, we don't really understand what's going on. And we tried a simple countermeasure. We've learned what we don't know. And then it becomes an A3 where there, there's, there's times where I've been in the, the, the diff, difficult situation coming into an organization where they'll say something quite literally like, well, Everything has to be in A3. Well, why do you think that? Why do you believe that? Well, so somebody had taught us that, right? Now they're sort of grounded in this idea of, you know, everything needs to be in A3. And then what I see is, you know, it's 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 overkill. People don't, they end up not really working on the problem when they're given, you know, structure that's just too much or, 
you know, I, I feel like a heretic sometimes if, you know, I'd say, uh, I think you, you were saying the same thing. You, you don't always need to do root cause analysis. So I'd be curious to hear your reaction to that, to that phrase or anything else you would have to say about, you know, when you would just, I, I love the, I hadn't heard this phrase, 3C, concern, cause, countermeasure. Uh, yeah. and not going to root cause. It sounds like you would agree. Not not always necessary. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's how you get that engine of problem solving on a daily basis by not overwhelming. You know, I mean, especially, you know, the, the operators at the end of the day, and it's, it's one thing that I always try and get across to my team and to, and to people we teach who are not value adders right in the shop for is we've got to respect the operators who are adding the value. You know, ultimately, they're the people who do what the customer pays for. And, you know, their time is consumed with doing that most of the time. So we need easy ways for them to solve the problems in a way that they're going to do it and not just work around it. So 3C is a very powerful tool for, hey, I've got a concern every time I, you know, one out of 10 of these um, parts come out of the machine with with too much schwarf on them. Okay, let's knock that concern. What do you think the cause is? Quick conversation, couple of the operators, a team leader. Hey, we think it's this. Right, what do you think we could do as a countermeasure? Right, let's try that. Either do it themselves or grab the engineer and he can do a quick fix for them. And if it doesn't work, try something else the day after or or in a couple of hours. But, you know, not getting into too much A3 of it suddenly becomes something they can't solve and it's a big enough problem then we might get the engineer and, and she and a couple of people might start working on an A3 to really solve the problem from a root cause perspective. But first and foremost, just give the operators that opportunity to try and solve their own problems quickly and easily. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, the, the, the first book we've been discussing is Philip's second book. Uh, <laughs> I think I said this right the first time. I'll tempt fate and say it again. The Simplicity of Lean, Defeating Complexity, Delivering excellence. So maybe you know, a final question about that book. Um, you know, Philip, what do do you have a sort of ready standard elevator speech version? If somebody says, "Well, hey, I've I've heard I've heard about this lean thing. What 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 is that, Philip?" Yeah. So my my elevator pitch is it's about giving everybody in the organization the opportunity to do their best every day and to feel completely engaged and fulfilled by the work that they do. That's said very simply and very clearly. So that's great. <laughs> so thank, thank you for that, Philip. And then uh, the, the first book, Leading with Lean, an experience-based guide to leading a lean transformation. Um, you know, we, we talk more about leadership, but I want to ask you first your thoughts on the word transformation. Like that, that's a word that gets thrown around a lot. Um, yeah. People talk about transformational change, transformational leadership, lean transformation. What, like, to, to you, how do you define transformation? Like, what, what, what's the, the, the boundaries where you would say this organization isn't just, quote, unquote, doing lean, they're, they're being transformed? How, how would you describe the difference? So, so for me, the reason we use transformation as the word rather than change or transformational change rather than just simply change is because... Well, the definition for me is when it's really fully in line with the strategy of a company or an organization to be significantly different tomorrow than it is today. And if lean is aligned with that and if lean is the vehicle to do that, 
then lean is being used for transformational change. Mm-hmm. So that, that's how I would define it. Yeah, it, it seems like with that would come transformational results. We're not just a little bit better than we were last year or a little bit more, a little bit better than we were five years ago that you see a huge leap in performance. I mean, the first example of that I saw in my time at General Motors, um, you know, the, the the plant I worked at was literally at the bottom of the GM global rankings for quality and productivity. Um, predictable results with the old predictable style of leadership. And then we had a, a, a lean leader come in. He was one of the original GM NUMI people. Difference in leadership style and, and leadership behaviors. Um, I saw a lot of improvement that first year. I left to go to grad school, but within a couple of years, that plant was top quartile. I, I would say that was transformational results right there. Like, what, what are some examples of transformational results that, that you would see or expect to see as a result of that alignment, that transformation in leadership and culture and improvement? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've got to be looking from a, you know, basically the way I always look at our key performance indicators, which are ultimately how we should measure the performance of a business, are around people, engagement of people, and that can be measured through kind of the conventional engagement surveys like a Gallup engagement, but also in terms of how many Kaizen per person per month are you seeing, how many hazards solved. Then you've got safety. Are you seeing a significant change in the performance from a safety perspective? So you know, zero accidents has to be the goal of a company that really wants to transform. Again, okay? yeah. you've got to come down that Heinrich triangle or pyramid down to the bottom and really maximize the number of hazards solved. You're going to see quality improve significantly. You know, it's going to be first time right culture. You're going to see delivery where it's just right on time every time. You're going to see cash reduced in terms of the working capital that you need to invest to get it because you're going to reduce your value stream lead times by getting it right first time with high quality. And then ultimately what's going to come out the other end is lower cost. Mm. And what you'll notice is that I deliberately put them in that order. Right. Look after your people in a safe environment Mm -hmm. with high quality to deliver on time to customers at a reduced working capital level equals lower cost to serve. Yeah. Yeah. And, and often lean's used the other way around, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so it comes back to that question of is it mistaken understanding of lean or are we just doing altogether different things and labeling it lean? Like back to the thing you were bringing up earlier, this idea of a system, whether it's, uh, you know, 14 points of the Toyota way, if you pick and choose a couple of those points, or we're going to, um, you know, do all these lean things, but we're not going to embrace you know, point number one about long-term thinking, like you're doing a lot of things, but should you be labeling that lean any more than let's say, I would say uh, I'm following the keto diet. I eat lots of bacon cheeseburgers, but I still eat buns. Like, well, that that's not the keto diet. Why would you be calling it that? And why would you be expecting, then you might say like, oh, I'm doing the keto diet and I'm not losing weight. Well, yeah, because you're not doing the keto diet. There, there's similar things that happen with lean. If people are really doing cost cutting, but they're calling it lean, that's very different, right? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and you know, I often joke in my in my first book, I, I coined the term. You know, people often think of lean as less employees mm-hmm. are needed. 
Yeah, we've all uh, heard that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it's you know, and I, I say lean really should be about leadership, excellence, analysis, and no, um, and that's the intelligent no. So yeah. you know, we we've got we, you know, and my and and the reason I write my books, the reason I do things like this when I'm talking with you, Mark, and you know, I'm, I'm passionate about changing the mindset because it has such great impact and it, it is transformational on an organization and its people when it's done right. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you mentioned safety because even back in the auto industry, I learned, you know, um, you know, it was often articulated SQDC, safety, quality, delivery, cost. And as you said, cost being an end result of better safety, better quality, better delivery, where, you know, uh, the cost cutters might hurt quality, delivery, and safety in the name of cost cutting. So then we're, we're, we're worse off, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned even the idea of zero accidents as, as a goal, you know, first off that pyramid um, that Philip referred to, if you're not familiar with it, um, you know, talks about not just reacting to let's say deaths or lower in the pyramid, serious injuries or, you know, other injuries near misses and risks. We, we want to be identifying risks and reacting even to near misses in the name of improving safety, right, Philip? What, what, what else would you say about sort of focusing on, on the bottom part of that pyramid, as, as you mentioned? Yeah, it's, it's, it's about creating, a, you know, having a value-creating safety culture. Um, you know, and it's, it's really about we want to help everyone to see. You know, we talk about learning to see from a waste walk perspective, but this is learning to see hazards and, and really having a very low tolerance for unsafe conditions um, and, and one of the key elements of our lean operating model in Geekin Aerospace and, and one of the um, horsing targets for this year has been behavioural based safety which is a way of teaching and training people how to be and behave in a, a safe way that is about spotting those hazards up front. Um, you know we even talk about we want people to go home in a better state than they came mm. to work. Mm-hmm. Um, not not even just in the same state. We want them to come home in a, a better state, and you know that it, it's a mindset. It's a changing mindset, and it, it's it's big. I mean, you get you get a lot of resistance to it because there there are people who've been ground into with both safety and quality, and I think they're two sides of the same coin. I think it's a very similar mindset, and they've been ground in that behavioural um, idea that safety and quality cost money. Right, right. Instead of they actually create value, and I'm very much on the they create value uh, side of the coin. Yeah, yeah. It's that, that old trade-offs thinking, and 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 so much of what you just said there in the last couple of minutes reminds me of what Paul O'Neill said when he was CEO at Alcoa, where they had learned from Toyota. They had what they called the Alcoa production system, later the Alcoa business system. But you know, Paul O'Neill's leader said the goal is zero harm. And he uh, heard him say that same phrase, that the goal evolved to be you should go home healthier than when you arrived. Um, and, and, and there's a certain culture. And, um, you know, as you said earlier, it starts with the CEO, right? You know, Paul O'Neill would teach people, uh, nope, these are false trade-offs. Um, you know, uh, better quality doesn't cost more. That's an old mindset in healthcare. People say the same things like, oh, yeah, sure, we'd love to have better quality, but we can't afford it. Well, yes, you can if you go about things 
uh, in in a lean way. So I'm, I'm I'm really happy to hear those same thoughts. You know, kind of you know being being part of your approach and and, and when it, whenever that's how it is at other companies, that's just always great to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, you know, there's an old habit um, you know, around trade-offs. There's an old habit. You know, people will make excuses like, "Well, you know, it's in you know, it's sad, but injuries are bound to happen." That was something Paul O'Neill challenged. So, I, I was going to ask one other question about lean leadership here. Um, you know, it's one thing to sort of try to explain or demonstrate what lean leadership is. What what have you learned about helping people unlearn? old mindsets, old habits, old behaviors, so they can then embrace lean? Yeah, that's that's really a beautiful question, Mark, because that's been one of my real educations in, in this. Um, I'm an engineer, so I, I come from the side of PDCA logic. Um, you know, why do people not understand it? Um, and and I, I've learned over the past few years you know, it's very much about getting people's hearts, capturing their imagination, really understanding what's in it for them and what, what will help them. And one of the models that's really helped, you know, we, we all know the Deming um, Schuhart PDCA model, um, but we've adopted over the past couple of years the Bovis BTFA model, believe, think, feel and act. Um, and, and I've incorporated that in my third book. It's that important to me now. And, and that's really about helping people emotionally to understand why we're doing something and to understand what drives them. And that's been one of the biggest things about how do we help people to unlearn behavior. People are doing it for a reason. They, they believe something which drives their thinking, which they get a reaction on them and they experience things that makes them feel a certain way and they therefore act a certain way. And what we've got to do is we've got to, um, you know, get in there somehow to show them that a new way of working gets a result that makes them feel better. And once they start to feel better about it, they'll start to think differently. They'll start to believe different things and they'll start to act in a different way. So that, that's really what a lot of the emphasis is on. And, you know, in my team and beyond my team in the sites now, you hear people talk about BTFA. It's part of our training materials. We, we've got something in our materials called the psychology of change. Um, so we're really trying to drive this up and, and motor really in terms of how we help people to behave and, and think differently. Yeah. And so then when we think differently, this comes to your third book, we, we can live differently. Um, that third book, I'm going to say it right this time, I think, Leading Lean by Living Lean, Changing How You Lead, Not Who You Are. Well, so I'd, I'd love to hear the story of how, the, how this book came to be, because you, you write more about personal benefits from lean, yeah, both, both at work and at home. Yeah, absolutely. So what, one of the one of the questions I, I, I got off people, you know, who'd read the books and, and also people who I work with people in my team and, and peers and colleagues is, you know, how, how do you get so much done, Philip, but you never seem to be kind of, you know, doing the 70, 80 hour weeks and, and you, you have a smile on your face, even when you've had a long travel week where you've been flying to the West Coast of the US and you're back and, you know, you'll come on a meeting on Friday afternoon after you've got back off the flight and you've got a smile on your face. You know what? What's going on? Why? How, how can you do this? Um, and 
I started to think about it and, and talk to people and I'd done a couple of presentations to companies and, and to other people and, and people just said, look, I'll, you, you need to write this down. You need to put this in your third book. You need to tell us how you do this. Um, so that, that's how it came, came about. And it's really because in, in my own personal reflection, what we call Hansai, that, that's been the key driver of how I've changed my behavior, how I've changed how I lead. And I've not changed who I am. I, I'm somebody, as I said, I'm from the Manchester area. I've got my own accent, my own background, my own cultural um, beliefs that, that have, have driven who I am. But at the same time, I've learned to change to be a different leader. And I've done that by living the lean behaviours. And, you know, there's so many people I've coached who might have the job title lean expert or lean master or continuous improvement leader who are overwhelmed. And, and sometimes I can sound a little bit unsympathetic because, you know, I'll say, look, this, this, isn't, this isn't acceptable. Don't tell me you're a lean expert and then tell me that you're overwhelmed. You can't keep up with your email mm-hmm. and you can't keep up with your workload. Those are problems because to be solved, right? Those are problems to be solved, absolutely. You know, this is like going to a doctor who sat there, is, you know, 10, 10 times overweight, sat smoking a cigarette, drinking a glass of whiskey, and telling you you need to lose weight and stop smoking and stop drinking. You know, it's it, it's it's about solving the problems that are getting in our way. So, you know, my, my last book, Leading Lean by Living Lean, is really how, how do you become that great leader you want to be by living the concepts yourself, reducing the burden on yourself, reducing the burden on your family, your friends, your social yeah. life, and, and creating what I call a life imbalance. Mm. I really hate the term work-life balance because to me, work-life balance implies that you've got this great thing called life and then you've got this horrible thing called work. Yeah. And you've got to reduce the amount of time at work and maximize the time that you're at life. So basically, it says you're wasting your life when you're in work. <laughs> That's and, and, I, yeah. and, and I don't believe that. What yeah. I believe is work is an integral part of a positive life right. uh, and a life in balance embraces it and, and makes sure that you've got every part of your life how you want it to be. And that's that's why our book's about how do you create that? How do you achieve that that nirvana, if you will? <laughs> yeah. So there's and and you know, as you shared, Philip, your reflections about shifting from tools focus to leadership focus. Um, there's opportunities then it seems in our home life. Like I, I, I see times where people will, will share, here's examples of me using lean tools at home. I'm like, Hey, if that, if that solves a problem for you, if that works for you, uh, well, great. But it sounds like you're, you're, you're not just focused on, uh, here's, uh, you know, five S for the, uh, the kitchen pantry or a Kanban system for buying more toilet paper. There's, there's more to it than the lean tools at home. Right. Oh, absolutely. This is about doing what works for you to reduce your your time. So, you know, it, and it starts with mindset. Again, it starts with belief. You know, I do a very simple uh, mathematics equation on, you know, working 40 hours instead of working 52 hours a week, but reducing the waste that means you're working 52 hours a week so that you get exactly the same amount of value added done in 40 hours as you would in 52. And it gives you 12 hours a week that you can choose what you want to do with. And it's not up to me what people do with that. Maybe they want to spend that 12 hours working again, but maybe they can work on something that's about the future instead of just fixing what's going on at the moment. 
Or maybe they want to spend that 12 hours with the children, 12 hours with their friends, playing chess, whatever they want to do. But it's about how do we take it out? So it's again, it's just like the discussions we've had about um, starting with problems. What is the problem for a business? What's your problem? What's your personal problem or problems that you want to, to solve? Is it not having enough time with the family? Is it not having enough time to learn tennis? What, what is it? Um, and also the, the side effect is you'll become a role model at work as well. Mm. And I think that I wouldn't be in the position I am now as a senior vice president if I hadn't been able to become the leader that I've become by living lean. That's 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 the premise. Yeah. Well, thank you for Philip, and and thank you thank you for that, and thank you for everything you've shared. Just one of the last thing we we had talked about this before we started recording is we we're trying to turn off devices that make noise, and they are you know a lot of this is from push notifications. You know, we we often say in you know in lean frameworks we'd say you know push of materials is bad, pull is good. There's a little bit more nuanced view. I've heard people say you know. Uh, flow when you can pull, uh, put your know, pull when you must, or, you know, sometimes th- there's, I'm stating this really badly. There's, um, there, there's a time and a place, even if push isn't the ideal, sometimes a little bit of push can fit into the context of a lean system. So that was a really badly formed question around push in, you know, push notifications versus pulling for information. Tell us about some of the settings and the way you manage some of your devices there, Philip. Yeah. So in terms of notifications from email, social media, um, WhatsApp, et cetera, I don't have those pinging. I don't have those making noises. Um, the only thing that makes a noise on my phone uh, is, is a phone call. Uh, and on my work laptop, it's if somebody calls me on Teams. Um, everything else is is on a pulse system. I go take a look at my um, email when my standard work, my leader standard work tells me it's time to go take a look at my email. Um, I go take a look at LinkedIn. I'm, I'm quite active on LinkedIn, but I look at it at the times that suit me um, mm-hmm. and that fit in with my leader standard work. So, you know, it's very much about a pulse system on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if somebody needs me, they can call me. And, and you know, my team, my colleagues know if they give me a call, I'll always pick up if I can. If I'm and, and if I can't, I'll call them back. So again, it's about taking control. It's not about ignoring. And I think a lot of a lot of the problem with many time management tactics nowadays are they're about how do you ignore what's going on? And that doesn't reduce the psychological burden. Yeah. To reduce the psychological burden, you need to be in control of, of the stresses. Or, you know, take control back. Um, as we wrap up, I think of something you said just a little while ago. If someone's complaining that they're overwhelmed by all of those notifications, that's a problem to be solved. Like, you know, for me, it's iPhone. Go into your settings. Like, I'm pretty aggressive about not letting many apps give me notifications for that same yeah. reason. And um, turning off, like, on my iPad, there's, there's no notifications because I don't use the iPad in a way that would invite any sort of, you know, urgent interrupty sort of message I, I'm reading in the Kindle app and my iPad. And so if I haven't completely solved the problem, I've uh, implemented some Kaizens in my own management of these devices. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. 
small improvements, no root cause analysis, but we uh, we made it better. So, um, Philip, you know, I really want to thank you for taking the time out of um, your day. This is not part of your usual leader standard work to be a guest on a podcast, I'm guessing. No, it's not, but I leave enough time to do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that you did. I hope people will go check out um, Philip's books and see there, there's one of those noisemakers popping up and getting me uh, a reminder for something. So I apologize for that. But um, go check out Philip's uh, books. You can find them on uh, Amazon and other booksellers. His website is lean-master.com. And again, there'll be a link in the show notes. So Philip, thank you for sharing you know, so many you know, kind of, you know, great stories and reflections and, and insights today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you're very welcome. And thank you for having me, uh, Mark. It's, uh, it's a privilege. Thank you. Well, thanks again to Philip Holt for being our guest. To learn more about his books, you can look for links in the show notes or go online to leanblog.org slash 460. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.